men in general, it's kind of challenging to step into an area of therapy. It's something that is unspokenly not necessarily accepted in the black male community. Um, we're taught at an early age to man up. Um, we're told at an early age that whatever happens in the house stays in the house. We're taught that complaining is not going to get you anywhere, so don't do it. Ultimately, what happens is you have a lot of black men who are harboring a lot of emotion, a lot of stress, a lot of resentment in different situations, a lot of anger, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of challenges mentally that we could easily have addressed if we just opened up and spoke to someone. This year, we've been really pushing for our audience to look into therapies, to try it out, to give it a chance, to see if it's something that works for you. Talk to somebody, talk to a friend, find a circle of friends who you can really be transparent with and be vulnerable with and start having conversations that are deeper than sports and music and women. It's just, it's really pushing to try to open up some more so that we can be who we are at our essence. Today we're interviewing Baron Strickland. Baron is on a TBS show called The Lost Resort, where it's a group of people who go to Costa Rica to a resort and they go through a series of therapy sessions to learn more about themselves. And in the point of learning about themselves, they kind of expose a little bit of their own truth while being in the group setting. Varen also has some other challenges. He had an incident that happened in Chicago while doing some community service. And then there's also a tattooing situation that we're going to get into. All right. So as always, y'all kick back. Enjoy this. Welcome to Suave. haven't watched the show which i think might be a good thing um because there's a lot of there's a lot of you that i i really want to get to know and get like the understanding of um and i think when you start watching someone on a reality show kind of situation you think you understand that person right um so you come in with a different kind of perspective um so it's it's interesting from what i've what i've read so far um just in the entire perspective of you and your life and then i'm guessing that's why you ended up on this show correct um because when i saw the show title i was like oh like a survivor or like a big brother kind of thing and it's completely not this is like a group of people who go seeking help and therapy for their life correct. and then like, i guess from my understanding like the truth of those people start coming out and and battling your own truth you start fighting with your contested mates yeah all right so for you um i guess kind of just to to jump in um just kind of give us some background on you i know you are a firefighter um, yeah. by trade mm -hmm. firefighter emt uh here in the chicago land area been doing that for 13 years now Okay. Yeah, I started fairly young. I was about 26 years old when I started, 25, 26. 
Okay. What made you What made you want to go into emergency services? Um, to be honest with you, it was something that kind of fell into my lap. I um, I went to Alabama A University to be um, an urban planner, uh, minor in telecommunications. And uh, once I got moved back to Chicago, you know, the job market was just really tough to break into. You know, yeah. you know I had a mortgage. It was just one of the things where I was like, okay, well, I got to find something. <laughs> right. And, you know, um, and, uh, one of my friends, a good friend of mine, he since passed away back in uh, 2013. Sorry to hear that. He, um, he said, hey, man, I'm going to take the, the firefighter test. You should, should roll with me. I'm like, okay. Man, you know, let's do it. So we went and took the test. I kept pursuing it, you know, and, and they didn't. Um, and uh, after taking the test, I say about a year later, I got the call to join um, the fire department, fire service. So uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> wasn't nothing that I ever thought that I would do as a kid or anything like that. I just tried it out and um, fell in love with it. Yeah. Uh, so we, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's that's pretty much how I got into it. All right. Now, when you when you find that this is something that you're going to ultimately do and hopefully enjoy, how do you start to, I guess, prepare yourself for that, or is that something that you can prepare yourself for? Um, I don't really think you can fully prepare yourself to what the job entails. You know, um, as far as the things that you're gonna see. You know, um, what I prepared myself more for is, okay, well, this is going to be my career, my life's career as a public servant, which, you know, I don't, I don't it's one of them things where I, it feels good for me to help people. Yeah. Um, the city I work for is a predominantly black area also, so I'm helping my people for the most part. So uh, that part wasn't hard to really get acclimated with. Um, I think, you know, just over time, you learn uh, after seeing certain things like, okay, well, this is a lot. This is a whole lot, you know, um, which is in my case where, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. Nobody can really prepare you for, for what you're gonna uh, see as a first responder. When you, cause again, I, my mom worked for the police department back in my home city. Okay. Um, and I know for a while, like one of her hardest parts of the job was nightmares of crime scenes. Yeah. Um, being a first responder, you're the first person on scene. So again, there's, um, depending on the situation, you have a family that's there and they're screaming, crying. You're trying to save a life that you know is unsavable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of getting into the situation, there's nothing you can do, but you have to continue to do the job and work, work a victim or a patient. Yeah. Right. And it's almost emotionless. You have to force yourself to try to be emotionless in the moment. And, uh, yeah, that can be very <laughs> problematic. Yeah. I was gonna say, how do you, cause you typically, so what happens, you end up bottling all this up. Right. And then... Is there an outlet? I learned that you had to, that you have to have an outlet. Okay. For a long time, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about going to talk to a therapist. 
I didn't know about any holistic methods of healing. The only thing that I knew about was just going to the gym. Right. That was my outlet. You know what I mean? But um, a lot of times you have to um, talk these things out. What you mentioned about, um, you know, bottling things up and not bringing it home, you it's hard to cut those emotions back home back on once you get home you know yeah you have to be emotionally available for your family and and when you're you've turned yourself into a brick you start turned yourself into a stone to where this is your mechanism of hardening and they're trying to get to you the people who should be getting through to you and they're not right yeah and it could be horrible when it comes to relationships it could be horrible when it comes to your romance life because you know how we are you know black women they they want affection they want emotion they want to know that you're there right life is full of uncertainties often showing up unannounced and at the most inopportune moments. They affect our personal, professional, social, and emotional experiences. Like a chess game, life is all about the moves you make. Life Matters with Mario Brown LLC was started to assist you in this area. Mario offers private, affordable, virtual, individual coaching sessions. The benchmark of his three-point faith-based service model is non-judgmental listening, reasonable goal setting, and comprehensive strategies for desired outcomes. With over 30 years of pastoral and itinerant ministry, Mario realized people often merely need someone who is not connected to them and on the outside to see their situation from a different perspective so they can reach solutions that will give them the outcome they desire. If you're ready to make new moves, need guidance, and insights of holistic living, Life Matters with Mario Brown is the service you need. Please feel free to contact a representative for more specifics on how to become a client by visiting www. Dot MarioCBrown.org for more information. That's www.MarioCBrown.org. So, who who pointed out to you that you probably needed to go and talk to somebody? Uh, a black woman, a friend, you know, maybe two. Who, uh, and it wasn't in a, it wasn't a situation where it was like, oh, well, you need to go talk to somebody because something's wrong with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. More or less, uh, I just I was blessed to have a couple of uh, female friends who were. Uh, mental health advocates, you know, they worked in that field, you know, and just after having conversations with them and, you know, they they even saw therapists and would have, um, you know, uh, mental episodes and uh, anxiety attacks and different things like that, depression. Right. You know, typically people who are in it has, has experienced it. Yeah. And um, they pretty much got me over the hump over the embarrassment uh okay let me go see a doctor and there's nothing embarrassing about it you have been through a lot 
and uh, you need to do this to, you know, be able to thrive in this profession and in your personal life. Yeah. So I was, so yeah, it was a couple of friends of mine who um, broke it down to me that, you know, Ryan, you should go and talk to a therapist. It's perfectly okay. Even when nothing is wrong, go and talk to a therapist. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a huge like I'm a huge advocate for therapy. Um, mm-hmm. It's I think especially as Black men, we are we're groomed to hold everything in, yeah, quote unquote, man up, mm-hmm. um, and that's a destructive mentality yeah. um, because we're going to blow up on somebody, and it it probably won't be your fault. It probably had nothing to do with you, but it's going to be like years on years on years of like pent up anger and aggression and frustration and like it's you find out people are depressed years after the depression situation happened and this it's like it's one of those things where as a community we just have to really encourage people to just again just try it you know find out what you may be holding on to that you have no idea you're holding on to Mm -hmm. um because it's it's a debilitating mindset man it'll tear you up yeah it really will, um, but <laughs> I am happy that I did have those people to um, to kind of point that out and kind of get me in the right direction. And I, I'm happy to say that I've been able to point a couple of other people in to the right direction of wanting to see a therapist and taking it uh, seriously because I, we need it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think a lot of us, where we come from and how we're brought up, we're already like a really traumatized people, you know. I mean, we take on the trauma of our parents and our grandparents, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's in the bloodline. (laughs) (laughs) It's in the bloodline. Um, When you you get to this point and it's like, you're going to go on television and you're going to now share with the world your story. Mm -hmm. How nerve-wracking is that? Like, was that something that was easy for you to step into or was that, like, really hard to do? It was really hard to do. I mean... uh, you know, a lot of therapists and people in that field would say that you have to make yourself vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable to do these things. And, you know, I, I just made a decision that I wanted to get better. You know? And uh, which one is more important, me maybe being a little embarrassed and putting my stuff out there or being able to go to this, um, on this opportunity, you know, um, and get some of the best healing that I can get done through this network. Right able to put it out on their um on their show and I, I just chose hey listen you know uh I, I choose to to get better I choose to take advantage of this opportunity so yeah um <laughs> it was rough it, it was rough it really was um and it, you know it, when you get a chance and you do watch this, the show you'll you'll see that it took me a little while to open up you know, yeah. when I opened up, I opened up, you know. Which I mean, again, that's just <laughs> it's it's now it's horrible now. Like I'm I'm a crybaby. Like it's 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 an uh, like we start getting type guy. Yeah, it's I, a lot. Yeah, I could cry all day by myself. Exactly. It, it doesn't even matter anymore. It's like, oh you're crying. Like, dude, I've been crying for like an hour now. I'm good now. In front of people. Like, it's real. It's just, uh, but, let's go get some food. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right, so you had an incident with um, some police officers back home. You were doing some community service, doing block cleanup kind of thing. Um, and then 
police officers are following you. You get to the end of the block cleanup. When you're packing up, getting ready to go, they get out of the car and there's a confrontation. Yeah. Um, again, as someone who works in emergency services, you typically work hand in hand with police officers. All the time, yeah. And then in a situation where you're not uniformed, you get a different experience. Mm -hmm. um, what did that do for you or to you rather? Um, I, th I, I, think I, I think when you have a better understanding of what's going on in a city like Chicago, um, things affect you, but they don't affect you as much, you know? Um, I had been working with, with a group where in Chicago for a while, you know, so we were kind of used to police following us all the time. I mean, it's, it's the, all of the stuff and the violence that you hear about Chicago, you would think that the higher ups, the police powers and politicians would be happy about you cleaning Chicago up or doing something to clean Chicago up. And unfortunately, it's not always like that. A lot of people are, are put in place in positions where they're supposed to serve and protect, but they're not really uh, wanting the betterment of Chicago. They really don't. The, uh, I, the way I could put it like this, I probably rubbed a lot of firefighters wrong when I said, hey, I'm the firefighter that doesn't like fire. I'm the firefighter who I hate it when someone's house burning down because yeah. they're losing their possessions. They're being put out on the street, you know what I mean? So a good day for me is no fire. Right. You know? And a lot of firefighters would be like, what, what do you mean? You know what I mean? Because they love to fight fire at all costs, no matter who it um, affects. I think the same thing goes with some policemen that some of them join the force to be, to, you know, for the thrill and for the violence so that they can be involved in some of these uh, messed up situations, you know? And right. um, I think that's just what it was. You know, you have some people who, cause I've, I've gotten really good support from some policemen. I'm pro-police for sure. We do need them. Yeah. And then uh, in a city that I work for, I work with some really great professional policemen that know how to talk to people without getting them riled up, know how to be forceful without being overbearing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I've seen like some of the most professional police ever operate. And, um, you know, that day we just had bad apples and it boiled over, you know, and um, yeah, it ended in a big scuffle and, and uh, nine of us being arrested. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then it went, it went further and you had to end up in court yeah against the city that you work for well the city that i live you know the city okay. where i live i work right outside of uh, chicago but you know i live in chicago you know i own a house here pay taxes you know this is where i operate most of my family is here right you know and and in the neighborhood that i grew up in my childhood neighborhood inglewood chicago okay so from that like that now passes you again you have the understanding and the perspective that it's not a police thing it's a bad cops kind of situation well well yeah a bad cop situation and then you could definitely have to throw some race in there you know what i mean because Absolutely. you know um well, I, I can't pretend like racism doesn't exist and i can't pretend like we don't have racist cops because we do 
Absolutely. You know I mean? So black people in a black neighborhood trying to clean up, confronted by white cops and locked up. I mean, to me, that has race written all over it. Right. You know what I mean? So it's always both, you know, in my opinion. So I guess my my question is, again, working working in emergency services, being a firefighter, EMT, working directly with police, how do you suggest, or if you if you would suggest, what would you say is the step that needs to be made to start mending this relationship? I think that's my question, kind of like across the board when I talk to people that are like lawyers, district yeah. attorneys, that kind of thing. I like, would like to think that I have the answer to that question you know, the answer to solve it all, to be honest with you. Yeah. I would like to think I have that. And if I, when I say it, some people would say, okay, this dude is crazy. Right. I mean, so in a lot of smaller cities, like the city that my mom worked in, she works in South Holland, Illinois. It's a very small city right outside of Chicago. Okay. You know, kind of kind of like the city that I work for, uh, Mark and Illinois. They're very small cities, but this particular city, South Holland, you have to live in South Holland to be a policeman or a firefighter there. Right. Okay. Chicago is huge. Okay. Very, very big city. And you become a, a police officer in Chicago, they can put you in any district or you can apply to go to any district. Right. Okay? To me, what will solve these issues is whatever district these police officers want to work in, they have to live. So because a lot of police officers who I feel are, you know, on the racist side, mm -hmm. live on an outskirt part of Chicago. Right. And then they want to work in the inner urban areas where the action is. Right. So I was saying, hey, listen, okay, you want to work in this area? You have to live in this area. And you will see, I, I think, honestly, it will make the police officers more um, in tune. It will force them to be more in tune with the citizens of the area that work. They yeah. Work. And uh, I think they will police it better. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they will get to know the people more, you know, and... I honestly think that it would solve it in the snap of a finger. Yeah, no. it's crazy where I'm from, from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a cop in Harrisburg, you have to live inside of the city limits of Harrisburg. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a lot different because when cops in the city pull you over, you know who they are, they know who you are. Yeah. So when I was younger, if a cop pulled me over for doing something that's like you, go yeah. home. I'll call your mom. Right, right, right. And I was more afraid of my mom getting called than like <laughs> dealing with the cops. <laughs> and then <laughs> when I moved, like my first move was to Philadelphia and it was completely different. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even a matter of them knowing who you are. It's that all the cops live in a, a city or a part, another city south of um, Philadelphia called Maniunk. Okay. So they all lived out there, but then they would come into the city of Philadelphia to police, and it was just combative. Yeah. It's like they came to the city to wreck havoc. Yeah. 
and, and, it's, and, it, and they don't know the people and the people don't know them right and you, you you know unfortunately these policemen don't look at the people in the urban cities as people you know yeah. they look at them as a job these are animals you know and uh this is how we have to treat them but i think i, I definitely know that people would take more pride and have more dignity when it comes to the neighborhood that they live in you know yeah absolutely uh, but i think that would end it to be honest with you that would end all of the agree Absolutely agree. If you got to be there, you'll you'll kind of look at it differently. You start understanding people. You find um, a way to get along with the people there. You got to lay your head there. Exactly. And uh, they'll get they'll find a way to get along with you, knowing that hey, it's a cop on the block. <laughs> <laughs> he three doors down. Right. <laughs> hey, we gonna chill out. All right. So, for for you, um, what's next after this? Because I feel like your story is empowering to an entire group of black men who again looking for outlets don't really know where to turn mm -hmm. screaming silently um what's what's next for you what do you want to do with what you've developed as a platform at this point um pretty much just you know get the word out to our people that it's okay to see a doctor be it if you, you're a therapist or if you want to do the holistic route by, you know, doing yoga, fitness, uh, um, Reiki, sound baths, uh, you know, there's a number of things that you can do that, that can be considered therapy. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but get it done. You know, understand that it's there. Recognize that it's there. Deal with your childhood traumas. Deal with your grown-up traumas. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, I, I really wish, that, you know, the opportunity that I had with Lost Resort, I know a lot of people would never get. I mean, we were out in Costa Rica. We were at a facility that cost about $1,000 a day. <laughs> right. You know, and a, the, the young man down the street can't go to a wellness center in Costa Rica. You know what I mean? So, you know, if I think... Just putting it out there that mental health needs to be a big priority in a black neighborhood. We need to make that a huge priority in a black neighborhood. A lot of our people are turning to drugs and different things like that to cope instead yeah. of dealing with our, our issues and the things that we need to deal with. Right. And I saw that you you did something to kind of I'm, I'm gonna call it extreme because for me it's it, it's a little extreme. You got tattooed like tribal tattoo, like yeah. pretty much like shoulder to ink or shoulder to what knee? Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple tattoos, and okay. it's like the last one I got was here. Okay. And I was just sitting there uncomfortable for 35, 45 minutes. Okay. You went through hours. Hours, yeah. And you did it because of heritage and culture and ancestry and it was a it was a full meaning behind getting the tattoo done. Yeah, yeah. I um was that was blessed to meet the Suluabe family of Samoa. Um and you know, in their culture, tattooing is life, you know, yeah. it's just 
a way of life for them. It's not just, hey, I want a pretty tattoo. This is a culture. This is it's a, a, a cultural practice, you know, that um, that their people are urged to get by their elders. You know, um, the particular tattoo that I got was the, the main tattoo that they get. It's called a pear. And um, the meaning behind the tattoo is, um, to, from what it was broken down to me is, you know, it's the tattoo that the kings get, it's a tattoo that the village leaders get. Um, and once they get it, you know, they pretty much pledge their life to serving their communities. Um, when I made the decision right before I joined New Era Chicago, you know, I was doing a lot of community service and just really kind of put my boots on the ground in the city of Chicago, just decided, hey, you know what, this is gonna be my pledge to the city. Yeah. Trying to make it better. You know, and I need to be a village leader. I need to be a king here. You know, and that's the, the symbolism that it took for me and why I chose to get it. How many hours? So, <laughs> uh, I, started, I started in 2016. I did three days. Each day was four hour sessions. Okay. And then um, in 2018, I actually traveled to uh, Samoa and I uh, got it finished. And that was also three days. The sessions were four hours. Yeah. Of uh, hand tapping. Yeah. Hand tapping. Yeah, it was hand tapped. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a gun. Right. Correct. I see. I've seen the hand tappers. It's like you. Yeah. A piece of wood that has needles on it, and they literally just hit the back of it with a hammer and come across. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> painful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More power to you, man. <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, the, the meaning behind it is amazing. And I, I love that you put the commitment in because I think when you go through something like that, you have to, you'll always remember that process. Um, and knowing why you did it and having that meaning behind why you did it, it means a lot. Um, so, you know, salute to you for doing that. Um, I probably wouldn't have made it. it, it, it they would have got like a third of the way down. I'm like, you know what? We're good. We can imagine the rest. Because um, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, the show um, it aired in July. Uh huh. Um, season, of course, is over at this point. Where can everyone pick up and start watching the show? Because binge watching television right now is the thing. Oh uh, yeah, people can binge watch it on the TBS network, Lost Resort. Um, you know, I, I think people, like you said, they probably get like a survivor feel just from seeing previews, but it's not that. It's, it's different. And it's deep. I yeah. mean, I honestly say, you know, the guests that I met there were all pretty much family today. They have gone through some stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I commend them for being vulnerable and putting their things out there and make it comfortable for me to do. Also, you know, I think um, there's someone on the show that anybody from any walk of life can um, relate to. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely recommend people go to TBS Network and, and uh, pretty much binge watch and stream Lost Resort. Let's just say, wow. Again, it's a lot when it comes to being a Black man. There's a lot of things we hold in. There's a lot of emotions that we just chain down and put them in the insides of our minds and just push them as far back as we possibly can. At a certain point, every man has a blow up situation every man has a breakdown situation it's inevitable it's going to happen 
what I want to ask you guys to do is just be there for your friends, be there for your family, be there for the men that are in your lives. Push them to try out therapy. Make it a make it a group commitment, a group pack that everyone is going to go and talk to someone. If you have a job, most jobs insurances cover therapy sessions. Try it out. Try out family therapy, try out couples therapy, try out individual therapy, just try it out. Try talking to someone. There's a couple applications that we're going to start working with that are going to push therapy for men. Um, there's a couple of different groups we're going to have to start opening up dialogue. Um, this is a men's magazine. We can't have this magazine and not be authentic and not be transparent about the importance of therapy for black men. It's something that I'm making a concrete commitment of the magazine. There, This is an area that we can't ignore. We have to make sure that our men are good. All right. So as always, y'all check out the magazine. We're going to have a lot of therapy things going into that in the upcoming weeks. Be blessed. Be safe. Stay suave. Peace. Wash your hands.